I will be reading today's scripture, which comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Please either follow along on your devices and Bibles or on the screen behind me. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Good morning. Well, my name is Dale Miller. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa Church. And I usually, I usually come up here and grab this mic, the announcement mic, and not the preaching mic. But it is a joy to be able to stand before you today and bring you God's word. Um, before I get into uh, the message, uh, the text that Carolyn beautifully read for us, um, I'd like to take a moment to, to celebrate as a church. Uh, it's, it's been wedding season here, right, at Doxa Church, right? There's been a lot going on. We had DJ and Destiny, and also we have Miss Christy here, Chestnut. She's here on the front row, just fresh back from the honeymoon. So give her a round of applause. Um, her husband, Greg, is, is being a good servant. He's serving his brother-in-laws this morning and helping them out. Uh, so I just wanted to recognize them, excited about that. And then also some of us got to uh, participate in and be a part of uh, Sheldon and Maria pa well, Gooding now wedding. And that was an awesome time on uh, Friday night. It's a joy to be there. Uh, you'll have to ask Tad. He got on the dance floor this time. Remember last time I talked about it, I got a lot of trouble for Tad for being on the dance floor. But this time, Tad got out there. So you, you can just ask him about that. Uh, but be in prayer for uh, Sheldon and Maria as Maria makes a transition to North Carolina. But also pray for Danny and Brenda. Uh, this is a moment for them that they are, they're having to adjust to their daughter uh, living and being invited into a new community. Uh, so if you pray for that as we continue to really celebrate what the Lord is doing here in Dr. Church by, through these weddings, it's a joyous occasion uh, to be a part of that. Um, this morning, uh, as I get to preach, our, preaching is typically like a, a monologue thing. Just somebody's up here kind of instructing. But if you know me, uh, I like things in more of a, a dialogue setting. Uh, I like a classroom setting where I can, I can ask questions and I can get feedback. Um, and so, I, and I recognize at Dr. Church, there's not a lot of feedback in our sermons but I thought it might be good. Uh, just, I'm just going to give you some just suggestions while I walk through this today. Like, you know, a head nod every once in a while is, is good. We'll take that. doesn't have to be audible. It could be amen, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, uh, or maybe just a pondering look like, I'm really thinking about that. See, Randy's got that. So you, and that's, 
And you can just fake me out if you want to. But no, I really do hope and pray um, that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us through this time together. That, that he will make the applications that need to be made to your heart. Uh, I'm not wise enough to, to know exactly what you need to hear from the Lord. But I trust that he is going to speak to you this morning. Um, so I just pray that you would search that. Uh, ask the Lord to do that for you um, this morning. I was going to share this as well. Uh, some of the guys in this room might be able to attest to this. What they, they know I really love to do is not just preach and not just teach, but teach in a way that I can assign a bunch of reading. I mean, a bunch of reading, and then just take a little bit of time to discuss it. So, so those, those, those slight laughters are through gritted teeth. They wish they would have known that of me a couple weeks ago before they signed up for a class that we're doing this summer. Uh, but be in prayer for those guys that you heard a little murmuring and laughing as well. But in all seriousness, let's pray and then we'll jump into the Word. Father, this is holy ground because you are here. And Lord, we do offer our whole lives for you this morning, for your kingdom to come here in the Grand Strand. Lord, I do pray you would lead us through your text. You will show us individually what you're calling us to, corporately as a church what you're calling us to. Lord, may we focus on you this morning. As Tyson prayed earlier today, may we, may we get out of the way, may I get out of the way of you this morning. Lord, lead us, guide us. Lord, search us, Lord. Show us what we need from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've been in the book of of John, and we have our series, uh, Seeing Jesus, in it. And and the Holy Spirit was really kind to to let John pin out the purpose for the book of John. And we've said this multiple times as we've kicked off a sermon, but I want you to hear again John 20, verses 30 through 31. It says, now Jesus did other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that that purpose should inform us when we come to our text today that Carolyn beautifully read for us. So let me ask you these questions. Before we start, do you believe what the text says about Jesus? Do you believe he is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God? And do you believe what the text tells us about life in his name? So the book of John thus far has covered about three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry. And during this time, Jesus has made signs and statements that has pointed to his true identity has pointed that he really is the Son of God, the Messiah. And because of these actions, hostility towards Jesus has continued to build from the religious leaders. They, they move from just wanting, we'll see, they move from just wanting to arrest Jesus to put him to death. The final stages of Jesus' public ministry is, is recorded here in chapter 12. We're kind of closing out a whole section of a half of the book of John divided in two halves. 
So in chapter 12, just a quick review, we see Mary anoints Jesus in the preparation of his burial. Uh, The following day, Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding on a colt. He's being welcomed by a crowd of people waving palm branches. And this crowd's hope, this crowd's hope and expectation was for for Jesus to bring national deliverance for them. It's really to, to rid them of their political enemies, the Romans. The Pharisees' vexation of this, this welcoming reception of Jesus, these religious leaders are, are, as I said, this hostility towards Jesus' building. You can see this in verse 19, the verse right before we read. It says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So they are, this, this hostility is building and building. So they're so angry that right before this, I talked about Jesus being anointed. He raises his, one of his best friends, Lazarus. So he raises him from the dead. And so they, they not only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus. They want to stop this, all that what Jesus is doing, all that is causing people to go after him. And that leads us up to this text. So we have this buildup. And then we'll see this kind of move in three sections this morning through these, uh, these verses. In the first section, verses 20 through 22, we see Greeks, meaning Gentiles or non-Jews, desire, desire to see Jesus. So don't think uh, that seeing is like my 12-year-old son thinks when I say, I want to see that, and he just holds it up for me to see. Like, see this, see this? That, that's not what he's, Jesus is saying. There, or not what John is recording when he says see. They are wanting to have an interview with Jesus. They're wanting to sit down and have a discussion and learn about him. Um, They seek to have an audience with Jesus. And then verses 23 through 24, uh, after that, Jesus makes this announcement that the time has changed. And he has another reminder that he must die. And the section closes out in 25 through 26, we see the life, uh, this principle that life through death is for those who follow after Jesus. Because it was his path. So verse 20 through 22 again. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip then went and told Jesus. So we think about the purpose of the book of John, and everything has a purpose. So just with that reading, at first glance, it can sound a little unusual. Like, why is John pending these details about this interaction with, with the Greeks and Philip, and, and Philip with Andrew, and then with Jesus? So just think about it a little bit here. What was going on in Philip's mind? So early in Philip's ministry with Jesus, he received these instructions from Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. It says here, it says, Jesus sent out the twelve, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But recently, as recorded in John 10, Philip heard Jesus saying these words, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So if Philip has all this in his mind, he's trying to figure out. So what do we see Philip do? When we're confused, what do we often do? Like, oh, here's my buddy Randy. I'm going to go get Randy. No, like Philip's like, oh, here's my buddy Andrew. I'm going to go get Andrew. See what Andrew has to say about this. And he knows that Andrew has this lifelong ministry. If you look in the scriptures, you see often Andrew is bringing people to Jesus. And how awesome is that? Just that simple statement to think, man, if I could have a ministry just like that, just to be known to bring people to Jesus. But Jesus' answer is, is striking. Verse 23 says, Jesus responds, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So can you imagine Andrew uh, like, and Philip going up and asking this question, and Jesus responds this way, and it's like Philip's like looking over at the Greeks like, mm, I, I don't know what that means. Can you come talk to him? I don't know. But it's not, re- it's not recorded. That interaction is not recorded in Scripture. Because that's really not the point. The point John is making here is that he's highlighting that after Jesus has been anointed for his burial, after he has received this welcome into Jerusalem, the arrivals of the Greeks signal something specific for Jesus. There's a change here. Jesus says, now is the time. Now is the time for him to finish the mission that, the God, that God his Father has given him to complete. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, so far through the book of John, we've seen, if you think about it, we've seen over and over again that this hour is not yet. In the book of John, when we, we looked at Jesus being at the wedding feast in Cana, his, wife, his mom comes and says, hey, you need to intervene here. And what is his response? It's my, my hour has not yet come. John records Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well with, with these words. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And when John writes about the desires of the Jewish authorities to arrest Jesus in chapter 7 and chapter 8, he states simply they could not because his hour had not yet come. And this hour is just not another drop of sand in the hourglass. The hour is now, Jesus says. It is now for the Son of Man to be glorified. What a beautiful and glorious statement. Let's look at this, just this statement a little bit more. The hours come for who to be glorified? What's the title that Jesus uses there? Son of Man, right? The title of Son of Man has important significance. It is Jesus' favorite way of explaining his own mission and identity. It's found found about 82 times in the Gospels, and 13 of those are in the book of John. The connection between this title, Son of Man, uh, to the Old Testament is clearly seen in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7. And in that text, the Son of Man receives a royal inheritance. Listen to Daniel 7:14. Speaking of the Son of Man, 
He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations and peoples of every language, and, every, and, and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen? Amen. But it's not only about the, the Son of Man and, and who we're talking about, but it's specifically what the hour is for. And it's for the Son of Man to be glorified. So let me ask you this question. How, how does the Son of Man receive this royal inheritance? How does, this, how does the Son of Man receive this glory? Did Jesus receive his glory uh, by fulfilling the wishes of those who welcomed him into Jerusalem? No. No. His glory came through his willful obedience to go to the cross. To go to the cross to purchase our salvation. His glory was to joyfully submit to the Father. His glory came through the joy that was set before him to bear our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus quickly says in verse 24, after making this profound statement that should have, been, uh, should have stopped everybody in their tracks, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In these verses, Jesus is not suddenly giving a lesson in agriculture. He's speaking about his glorious death, which will result in an abundant harvest, the salvation of many, the salvation of those who turn to him and him alone for the forgiveness of sins. So this link that Jesus makes between glorification and the cross is fundamental. And this is a Christian worldview that we should walk into. That life actually comes through death. What is true of our Lord must be true of his followers. And that is what Jesus communicates in the next two verses. In verse 25 and 26 says, Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus' call to the believer is, you must follow me. And where is Jesus going? Where is he going first? Where's the first stop? The cross, right? So here's where things get real for us. Where the battle lies in, in my life and in your life. Like we, we want to follow Jesus. But we want to do it without going to the cross. Now some of you might be thinking, okay, this is just John you're talking about here. Uh, this is what John's perspective. You might say, like, I'm not really a big fan of John. You know, his gospel is a little bit different. Uh, his other gospel is better. Uh, 
so you say, like, I, I'm more of a Matthew guy. Matthew's my guy. Well, all right. Well, let's, let's see what Matthew has to say. Uh, so if you would, join me. Now we're going to go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. If you would turn there. I cheated. I already have it in my notes. Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. I'll give you one more second. Let's see who won the Bible sword drill. Pablo says he won. Hear what Matthew says. What he records. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, so maybe you're like, I'm not a Matthew fan either. I like Mark. Mark, you know, he's only got little 16 chapters. He flies over high level. He moves through the gospel quick. All right, well, let's see see what Mark has to say. So one one book over, move to Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in... Verse 34, I'll give you a second to flip a few pages or scroll a little bit. Mark 8, 34 through 37. And calling the crowd to him, to him with his disciples, he said to them, this is Jesus talking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, we got one more chance, one more gospel, right? The good physician Luke, what does Luke have to say? I think you see a pattern here, but let's go there. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we see the good physician add daily in here. We are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after Christ. So here's, here's the problem. I alluded to it earlier. But here's the problem that many of us face in this room, and my, I, myself included. I do believe many of us want to follow Jesus. But we want to do it without denying ourselves and taking up our cross. I believe many of us want to experience God's glory, but we want to do that without experiencing death to ourselves. And I believe that many of us, me included, want to experience God's kingdom now without experiencing his cross. And there's some in this room that want to just see Jesus like the Greeks, be able to just get an interview with Jesus, Ask Jesus a few questions, learn about him a little bit. But Jesus is not interested in that. Jesus is interested in making disciples who follow him. And we follow Christ daily by denying ourselves and taking up our cross. But to steal a kind of a transition from our brother Justin a couple weeks ago, like, what does that even mean? And he was talking about, what does abide mean? Well, what does it mean to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross? I mean, these are words that we, we know and we can, we can give them as slogans, but what does that really mean for us in our lives, our daily lives? 
I mean, does it mean like, who, who carried this in today? Who carried the cross in? Who was that? Is that John or Tad? Like, did they do that? Did they carry their cross today? Like, no, we know that's not it. If that was it, you guys would be lined up at the end of the service. Like, yeah, I'll take it today. Yeah, this is what I'll, I'll check that off my list. Like, we, we know that's not it. But I'm concerned that we, we easily turn this verse into a discipleship slogan while holding only a service level of what it means to, to deny ourselves and bear our cross. I mean, we get it. We, we know that it's, it's somewhat difficult. Like, carrying anything is not easy. There's a, there's a, a burden there. That's not what, what we're thinking. We know if I needed to de- deny myself, it must be my, my selfishness or my thoughts and my desires must be wrong, must be the problem to it. I mean, that, is that what it means? Does it mean I need to, to deny my desires? My desires for material things like that new iPhone 15 I keep seeing all things about. And I just got a 14. Missed it out. The new iPhone 15's coming. Is it new clothes? Is it, is it a, new, a new bike to ride? Is it a, a new house? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Does it mean I need to deny my desires for immaterial things like good health or wealth or love or, or fulfillment in the work that I do? Is that what Jesus is asking us to deny? Well, it, it could be. It could be some of those things. And that's between you and the Lord. But I want you to hear uh, from this resource that I used in preparing this and searching and trying to understand what is, what is Jesus really calling us to here in this context. And it digs past the surface level. And it makes this point. It says, self-denial is about removing yourself as your primary focus. Jesus is making a statement about who you most closely love and serve. So where is your primary allegiance? Is it with yourself or is it with Jesus? And the point is it can't be both. Also in regards to carrying one's cross, uh, we can often, you know, make jokes about it or talk in light about just like it's just bearing something that's annoying. Like, I got to carry my cross. I got to hang out with that guy. He's always talking about himself. Like we, we, we try to make those jokes about what it means to really carry our cross. But to those who actually heard Jesus' words, they had a deep understanding of the context and the implications of being crucified. I mean, namely, they knew that crucifixion was reserved specifically for offenders who had rebelled against authority. So take up your cross was referred to the practice of making the, the person that was condemned to carry the cross section, the crossbeam section, to their execution site. So the person that once was rebellious to authority is now publicly seen having to carry their cross to their execution. They're publicly seen now as being under complete and utter submission to those who they rebelled against. So 
So here's the connection that Jesus is making through that understanding. Jesus is really calling us to complete and utter submission to him. When he says to pick up your cross and carry it and follow after him, he is calling you to complete and utter submission to himself. Followers of Christ, we cannot, we cannot say he is Lord and I'm Lord also. No. Christ alone is Lord. We are called to complete and utter submission to Christ. And Jesus has, he has every right to make that kind of claim on our lives. For some of us, like, we're, we're okay with that. We're okay with that claim because mentally we just kind of know, like, hey, he died for me. I'll just have to, I'll follow, I'll follow him. It's not that, that tough, you know? Like, it's not a, a big emotional decision I have to make. I'm just going to kind of follow after Christ. And some of us, it is, it is a tough just hearing that. Like, man, he gets, I have to be in utter and complete submission to him as my Lord. But either way, wherever you stand, if it's more naturally like, hey, okay, I'll just do this thing, or if there's a wrestle there, I think this, we're, we're missing something, a beautiful truth in that. See, Jesus is not calling you to begrudging service unto him. Like, how could that be good news? The good news is that Jesus, in his love and care, he purposes the work of self-denial and carrying one's cross for our transformation and our joy. This joy is found by allowing God to strip away what is sinful. It's really it, doing that frees you to become the person he's created you to be. And who is that person? Who has God created you to be? Namely, he's called you to be the person who is conformed to the likeness of Christ. Scripture tells us by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And he has given us himself. Everything that we need for a godly life. Now, if you want to know how to grow in godliness through spiritual disciplines, I got a great book for you, right? Yes. <laughs> and it addresses, in this book, right? So this is what I want to get. Like, if you, if you are reading it, you're not going to read it. Um, what it's addressing in this book is saying, okay, how do I read God's Word? How do I study it? How do I pray? How do I worship in a gathering like this? How do I evangelize? How do I go out and share the gospel to those around me? How do I serve? How do I steward my resources? How do I fast? But here is what I want you to hear this morning. If we don't approach those spiritual disciplines under the submission of King Jesus, they will all become an exercise in self-righteousness. So here's the take-home message for us this morning. To follow Jesus as Lord and King means you cannot follow the lords and kings of this world. 
and the lords and the kings of this world includes your personal world, your personal lordship, and your personal kingdom. The following lyrics were were shared with me while I was preparing this message. And I think it really captures this moment and season for many of us in Doxa Church, and for myself included, for me and my family. Hear these words. God is calling us out of our comfort zone into a life of complete surrender to the cross. To live dangerously is not to live recklessly, but righteously. And it is because of God's radical grace for us that we can risk living a life of radical obedience to him. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, a life of radical obedience to him. Amen? Church, I I can't stand before you today and promise you anything. But I hope and I pray you will hear Jesus' promise to you that his Father will honor those who serve and follow him in radical obedience. The text says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen? I don't know how the Father has gifted and called you to serve. I think one question is, it's kind of, hey, we're in a church, how do I serve the local church? How has God gifted me to serve his body? But I don't want you to just hear that this morning. As you start to search your heart, as we think about these things and all these questions, this call that God has put on our lives to, to find our complete joy in him and our utter submission to him. How has God called you to to serve him in your relationships? How has God called you to to serve him in your home and in your community? How are you to serve him with all of your life? Because all of your life is under the submission of the one who holds all authority. So we have an opportunity to continue to think about that. As we go to communion, that's my goal for you, is to think all of this, like how is my life? God, how have you created me? What have you given me? What are you calling me to for your glory? The Son of Man would be glorified, not that I would be glorified. And that often, we see that it comes through death to ourselves. But there's joy in that because what God is really doing, he is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So this morning, just pray that. Lord, transform me into the likeness of Christ. Show me what needs to die. Show me what my cross is. He will answer the prayer. I feel confident in that. If you pray that prayer, he will show you. And he's, as my brother said, amen loud earlier, 
He has given us everything we need to pursue Him and to be transformed. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us intimacy with Him in prayer. He's given us the body to walk with us. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer, church. I pray that I won't any longer. This is my comfort, not, not this is my comfort zone. Coming up here and giving announcements is my comfort zone. But even, even in my life, and pray for my family, what does that look like for us as a church? As I continue to seek God, where is he calling us to be in full-time ministry? What does that look like? How do I serve? What does that look like for you? So as the band comes up, and we close out our time, and we turn to communion, I want you to ask these things, ponder these things with the Lord. And remember, if there's any conviction that it's God's kindness is doing that, he's not trying to take anything from you. He's not trying to steal your life away. He's trying to give you true life. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do come to be still before you now and to seek where you are calling us. Lord, may we, may we truly believe it's because you love and care for us that you would expose things in our lives that need to be put to death. You would show things to us that we need to deny ourselves so we can follow you. Lord, that you would show that where we are not being fully submitted to you. Or may we walk into that with joy, knowing that it's your kindness that brings us to repentance. And Lord, as we come to the table, may we, may we know that we are following after you, Lord, on a path that you walked so graciously for us, that we did not deserve your sacrifice for us, Lord. But out of love, out of joy set before you, Lord, that you went to the cross, despising its shame, that you bore our sins. Oh, we thank you. We thank you that it's only through a grace-driven effort, Lord, that you transform us. Lord, it's about being submitted to you and relying on you. Lord, don't let us fool ourselves and we're serving you in ways that's really on our own selfish motives. Lord, give us hearts that worship you in spirit and truth this morning. Lord, continue to search us. Lord, transform us. Lord, truly do that into the likeness of Christ in all areas that we serve and lead. In our churches, in our homes, in our businesses and all the relationships that we carry, Lord. Let us be Christ. Let us be Christ in those places, Lord. Lord, for your glory, for the Son of Man is, deserves all glory. Your praise and worship forevermore. Amen.